You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome to our sermon series, Asking for a Friend. Curiosity, discovery, um, exploration, and dialogue is it's welcomed by God. And we welcome it as an essential part of developing and growing faith at Garden City Church. Uh, Isaiah 118, God says this, Come now, let us reason together. I love that. Uh, another translation of the same verse says this, Come on now, let's walk and talk. Let's work this out. I love that about God. Um, you and I aren't like a computer program to just have information downloaded into. We, we're human beings made in the image of God. And, and part of our life is learning and discovering. And uh, maybe it's because it's been part of my journey and I've had uh, just wonderful people that have been willing to walk and talk, uh, work through my questions, my curiosity. But this is a value for our church. And every person that uh, is joining us, whether you're online or in person, we're all coming from our story, our journey, and every journey matters to God. And our goal is to help every person on their journey move with Jesus and toward Jesus. Today, we have a story I'd like to share with you. This is a friend of mine, and this is a bit of her journey. Uh, her journey is unique, but maybe some of you might recognize a bit of your story and hers, or maybe just become aware of a story that might be very different than yours. Either way, I'd like you to listen to this. I was a non-believer, and my dad, he got cancer. As I began questioning more, like, the fact that there's got to be something more, I was talking with a friend at work who was a believer. It gave me the opportunity to, to get to know what, what a life knowing Jesus would be like. As my dad got sicker, I began questioning more, like, the fact that there's got to be something more. I just decided I needed to believe. And I gave my life to Jesus one evening. I literally felt a weight being lifted off of me at that time. Uh, And then after my dad passed away, we saw a sign up in our neighborhood for a block party. We just needed something, something good to happen. We started talking to a couple. It turned out to be George and Sarah. And through talking to them, found out that They were part of a church called Whitewater. At the end of the evening, I asked George if he could pray for me. He prayed for us. Sarah invited us to come to church, and we came to church the next Sunday, and we were a part of Whitewater. I think I was most skeptical that it's gonna be a a cult-like environment. You feel like you can't have questions sometimes, and Garden City allows you to have those questions and wants you to have those questions. The pain I went through is gonna be something I can use to help somebody else. And I I know that I've been able to help people going through really difficult situations because of my story. Hi, 
how do Christians hold convictions, their own convictions, without imposing those uh, maybe Christian convi- convictions on other people who don't hold those same convictions? That is a great question. I want to uh, lift two characters from the New Testament up, Barnabas and Paul. Without going into all their stories, I would encourage you to read in the book of Acts about Barnabas and Paul and how they approached other cultures with their own convictions in a very pluralistic culture. Um, Here's a few things you might find. Uh, They were masters at affirming the good wherever it was found and and then challenging the good gone wrong. They were able to affirm the grace of God at work in other people groups. They were able to affirm the, uh, the, the grace of God at work, even in non-Christian culture. But they also had the ability to, in a loving and respectful way, challenge a uh, culture where goodness had gone wrong. I think that's sometimes a, uh, a lost art. And uh, being able to do that affirm yet challenge is, a, is an art to grow in as Christians. They also stood in their convictions with curiosity and a willingness to learn. They were always trying to learn what was going on in culture while they were holding their own convictions. And I think that's okay to say, I can have my convictions um, and some core convictions may never change. Or if I learn, maybe I was wrong or maybe I need to tweak some things, I'm willing to grow because I have humility, but I'm always curious enough to learn about other people while still holding my convictions. I want to encourage you when you're trying to think through how do I hold my convictions without, you know, uh, forcing it on other people, but still holding it, you know, holding those tensions. Remember that the litmus test for Christian love and maturity is how we treat those we disagree with and even dislike. It's not about how hard you can believe something or, you know, how, how perfect your belief set is or like smashing other people and destroying all their arguments. That doesn't, that's not necessarily maturity or love. Love and maturity is demonstrated by how we treat those we disagree with and maybe we even dislike. How do I find peace this side of eternity with issues that feel like they won't have resolution this side of eternity? This is a great question and it really helps us see that there's a tension between uh, God's kingdom now and God's kingdom not yet. We live in a world where there's God's goodness and grace and kingdom are sprouting up around us now, but there's also areas where God's kingdom is not yet fully rooted or taken hold, and we can see the brokenness and God's blessing mingled. Jesus entered a world with that tension, and he lived in that tension and taught us how to. Jesus said this in the middle of this tension, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And he's reminding us there will be trouble. There will be moments of hardship where God's kingdom is not yet. But Jesus has overcome the world and the kingdom of God is growing. It's like this mustard seed that's getting bigger and bigger. And some of God's kingdom is now. And we get to look forward to the, to the fullness of that in the future. But while we're living here in the middle of this tension, um, I think it's important to uh, to just come to the heart of this question. I don't know if this if the person who asked this is you know struggling with with issues at the, as they look at the world, or maybe there's uh, spiritual, mental, emotional health that they're looking at. And they're like, God, why why can't I be fully healed 
um, there's this lingering struggle or a li- or major pain that I'm struggling with in my life. I want to I want to encourage you that that Jesus, um, you know, one of one of the things he was doing was was giving a picture and a path to a life of real wholeness and flourishing with God. And if you're dealing with whether it's mental, emotional, physical pain, this side of heaven, this side of eternity, and it's not something that you can see going away unless a miracle happens. I think it's really important to um, follow in the way of Jesus to removing stigma around mental, emotional, physical health. Sometimes we keep uh, certain things culturally in the dark because the culture doesn't want to talk about it, whether that's in the church or outside of the church. There's a really great opportunity to remove a lot of stigma around these things that often get kept in the dark. And when we can bring those to the light, I think that that we can, uh, in our woundedness, find healing and find support and support others. And remember, Jesus had an incredible vision for a life of wholeness and peace. You know, in this side of heaven, this side of eternity, and in full on the other side of heaven, on the other side of eternity. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word for life is Zoe life, this sense of wholeness and fullness and overflowing joy. And this is this is in every dimension. It's a holistic uh, view of, of being human. It's not just about your intellectual capacity or your theological capacity, and that's it. Um, this is about your mental health, your relational health, emotional, physical, spiritual health. It's holistic. And so I think removing the stigma around this and having a more holistic vision of what it means to be human um, helps all of us. And if you're struggling... Um, with something on this side of heaven that doesn't feel like it's going to be removed. Just remember, it's it's not a sin to be sick. You don't have to fake it to fit in. You can be our authentic self. And Jesus offers us a picture of, of, of spirituality that we can be very authentic and real this side of heaven, this side of eternity. I wanted to encourage you with that. There's a question that came in this week that might resonate um, with quite a few people. It sure did with me. It said this, the Bible says to give all your anxiety to God, but what do you do when the anxiety keeps coming back? Man, that's a great question. Have you ever struggled with anxiety, just like maybe habitual anxiety or a fear or worry that just continually comes back? Um the Bible has some really important things uh, to teach us on this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who planted churches and he was he was shipwrecked in his life. He was thrown in prison. He was uh, people attempted to murder him. He had he was injured while he was trying to serve the Lord. He went through so many things, so many things that would cause anxiety. Um, he wrote this: "Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be." transformed by the renewing of your minds. He reminded he reminds us today like he did centuries ago that our 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 minds are are so crucial, so important. The idea of our mind, where we put our focus, um it, it's so important for the quality and health of our lives. Paul also wrote this um in helping us uh transform our minds. He wrote, "Don't be anxious about things, instead pray." Uh, pray about everything. God, he longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what has come. And know that the peace of God, 
peace that is beyond any and all of our human understanding, will stand watch over your hearts and minds in Jesus. Notice our hearts and minds in Jesus. There's going to be this protection. Uh, like where we, where we put the focus of our minds on will really determine the sense of peace and the self, sense of well-being, um, the sense of truth. Um, anxiety is going to come back. It's it, Paul's kind of like getting at this idea, like, don't remain anxious. There's going to be waves of feelings, waves of anxiety, waves of worry that that hit us. That's part of being human. But always turn that, turn your focus to God. Don't get lost in it. Don't sink into the waves, but look to Jesus and let him kind of pull you out of that. Even if it takes a long time, or even if the feelings don't go away immediately, like life is hard and, and um, sometimes the struggles we hit are habitual and sometimes it's it's not just going to go away immediately. Paul goes on in the same passage to, to help us see like, well, how do we refocus our minds and, and how do we learn how to um, have a prayerful life that focuses on the good? He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Fill your minds with beauty and truth. Don't just focus on the negative. Don't just focus on all the headlines and just get caught scrolling for hours. Like that's not going to help your mental health, your anxiety, your worry. He says, meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. Keep to the script. Whatever you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do it. And the God of peace will walk with you. Oh, I just love that. And, and in, in Paul's words, here's a few um, principles I, we can pull out of this. Form habits of focusing your mind on the goodness and grace of God. Just form habits of whenever you're worried, anxiety, anxious, um, you're stressed, that's a sign to start praying and bring it to God, bring it to Him. Um, and then also, uh, when He says, you know, whatever you see in me or in other discipling leaders in your life that you respect, that's good, that's healthy, focus on those relationships and those practices and create a healthy ecosystem. So create an ecosystem of relationships that lift you and help you. Don't drag you down. The third principle that you, we can see in this is that Paul's not afraid to talk about this stuff. He's not afraid to talk about, you know, the human condition where we find ourselves. And and uh, so don't be afraid to talk about it and don't be afraid to seek help for it. Um, we, I want to encourage you, if you're really struggling with anxiety, uh, to, to consider getting help perhaps with a counselor, finding a counselor that makes sense for you. Uh, there shouldn't be a stigma around uh, getting help in those areas. That's something that's very important. And in fact, uh, I want to encourage you to check out or share our mental health resources that we have at Garden City. You can go onto our website, share it with a friend if you have friends that, that need that help. If you need help, um, look at those resources as a first step to get the help that you need. We had a great question that resonated and kind of came out of a conversation with uh, some leaders in our church, and they're leaders in the community, uh, business leaders, organizational leaders, um, school leaders. How can I create a, a we culture in the middle of a, of a strong me culture? I think that's a great question in a world that like bends and tilts toward me uh, within our families, within our churches, within our uh, workplaces, it can lean toward uh, me 
what I need and what I want, and it can lean away from the we. How do we bend things back to make sure that we're we're building a culture that considers the we? Both the individual and the community are important. These like they're they're inseparable, really. Like uh, we are all part of a family, and if you love your family, a healthy family. Um, it allows people to have individuality, but also uh, a sense of community. So here's some of the tensions. Um, me without we fuels oppressive individualism um, and, and empowers selfishness and greed and consumerism sometimes. But the we without me fuels sometimes a, a kind of an oppressive communalism by squashing personal will, personal freedom, unique callings and giftings. The tension of me and we maintain both personal rights and community responsibility, both those things. And you'll even if you look globally, there's some cultures that lean one way or the other. And, and Western culture is, is known to be much more individualistic. Eastern, Eastern culture is often more communal. In, a, in our culture in America, I, I do think there's uh, in a general lean toward an individualistic kind of rugged American philosophy of life, and uh, there's good there, but there's but if it's out of balance, it can become unhealthy. How do we move the needle in a healthy way so that we have a we culture in our families, in our workplaces, and in our churches? I think Jesus helps us with this. The great commandment it has actually two sides to it. The first side of the great commandment is love God with your whole being. The second, Jesus says, is you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus reformulates this in another teaching, the same concept of loving our neighbor. Um, and he says this, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So another re- it's another formulation of loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you're like, well, how do I love my neighbor as myself? Imagine what you want done to you and do that to others. So you see Jesus in both these um, short little teachings He's, he's uh, capturing the tension between we and me, or me and we. Uh, love your neighbor, love the we, as you love yourself, the individual. Um, or do unto others the we, as you would have others do to you, the individual. So Jesus is he's talking about this tension, and he's putting it in the context of love. And the brilliance of Jesus is that he subverts our selfishness by decentering our imagination and our focus with his teachings. Uh, I, I love this. He decenters people's vision by helping them think through the lens of compassion. Love your neighbor as yourself. Learning to like decenter yourself by centering your focus onto the other, not just what you need and what you want, but what others need. Love your neighbor. In what's known as the golden rule, Jesus decenters us through our imaginations. Um, by helping us like think and envision something different in everything, again, do to others what you would have them do to you. So we have to use our imagination. So it's not like you can just, this is like a rule that you have to follow, like red lights, you stop, and a green lights, you go. This takes imagination. What would you like others to do to you? How would you like to be treated? How would you like to be find belonging? How would you like others to include you? How would you like others to be generous to you uh, and speak to you, treat your family 
when all of a sudden we, he gets our imaginations going, then we just take that, take the best of that, and we give that to others. And we take the focus off of ourselves and we put the love on others. And imagine a community that's always decentering itself by loving others and, and looking beyond itself. You, you all of a sudden find your needs met maybe more beautifully than you ever would have imagined by creating a culture that says, I'm going to focus on loving others. How do we do this? Well, Jesus did this in some very powerful but simple ways. He helped people discover it, discover this decentering love of others. He would point out, look at how this person loves. Look how this woman is, is worshiping and loving right now. Look at the Samaritan woman, how she's leading her village back to me. She's loving people. He helped his disciples discover love. He taught it over and over. He modeled love um, and in his life and in his death on the, on the cross and then how he loved people after the cross. He modeled it and he inspired it. Inspired it. He helped others imagine this kind of love. And then he encouraged it whenever he saw it. He encouraged it in his disciples. So if you want to create this kind of culture, follow what Jesus did. Discover, help other people discover this love in the world to see it, uh, teach it model it, inspire it, encourage it. And then lastly, name the tensions. Name your bent, your tilt. If you tilt toward community, your bias, I bend toward community. That's how I see the world. That's my lens. Or if you bend toward me versus we or the more individual way of looking at things, just recognize it. Name it for what it is. And when you name it, you can start talking about it and you can start creating a healthier blend and a healthier culture together. Thank you for joining us for this series. I'm so glad you've been a part of it. If this has been helpful to you, share it with a friend. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.